It's uh, Mike Crawford, Young Jerks. I have a special guest here, Julia Mejia, Boston City Councilor. Julia, uh, Boston City Councilor at large. Yeah. Julia Mejia. And, uh, you know, can I just say, Mike, you, you know how to say my last name. I just want to give you kudos for that. It took me a while. Good job. Good job. Thank you. It, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because I hear your name mentioned so much in the news now so i have to uh note when they say it right and when they say it wrong i notice it now because i've been there <laughs> people yeah. need to know how to say your last name especially it's you know julia's easy but mahia yeah right it's, it's part of the cultural competency piece right i think that as more and more people like me decide to run for office um we're gonna have to um yeah learn how to pronounce people's names. So I'm happy to see that there, some are doing it better than others, but I, I like the fact that you're even paying attention to that. Well, I think uh, a lot of people are paying attention now, especially um, since a lot of the things you're talking about are just, you know, as big of a problem as they've ever been. Mm -hmm. uh, I figured that's just where we'd start is, you know, we're, you know, we're looking at, early data is showing that, you know, disturbing racial disparities and, and poverty disparities and, and COVID-19 infections. Um, you know, we're looking at now Chelsea is a hotspot. Uh, certain neighborhoods in Boston are hotspots. Uh, how does it affect low-income communities, this, this new pandemic we're dealing with? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for us to really understand what these disparities look like we need to also acknowledge that these disparities that ex has exist have existed in our communities for decades um when you look at uh education um the the type of education that communities of color are usually exposed to don't give us an opportunity to uh, have jobs um, nowadays where we can actually have the privilege to work from home right so i think it's important for us to look at the whole picture um, when you look at housing, a lot of people um, in, in low-income communities, we can't afford to live um, in, in Boston and in certain parts of it, we have seven or eight people living in one unit just to be able to afford to, to stay in the city. So I think that all of those things, you know, education, housing, transportation, it's at the intersection of all of the disparities that continue to plague communities of color um, and low-income communities in particular. So I think that it, it does make sense um, that most of the communities that you see right now are th that have been hit the hardest are low-income communities um, because of the, the racial um, and health disparities that um, have plagued us for so long. So it, 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 it unfortunately, um, it, it makes sense. I hope my uh, computer isn't causing too many issues. I'm trying to do too many things at once, and I realize I'm, I don't know what I'm doing producing, Julia. Have you noticed yet? Yeah, well, I mean, because I, I have to be honest with you. I got people texting me saying that they can't get on to Zoom, so they're streaming it on their own Facebook. Oh, um, I see. Okay. Um, what you we, we basically have the Zoom kind of locked down. I know some people um, are trying to get in, because I, I, I'm going to need to figure out how to get people on and off the Zoom when they come in, but we could probably do that. We could probably take some questions. They have questions they want to ask. Is that what? Um, they, I think I think if you look on your Facebook Live, maybe that's probably where the questions might come in. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, they could they could call in on the Zoom too and ask questions, but um, they can definitely leave comments too on the Young Jerks Facebook Live. 
you know, we're doing uh, Facebook Live there as well. But uh, I was going back and forth trying to start a watch party, and I realized I I had it on my computer. It's funny. It just uh, yeah. No, I, I felt like you were multitasking. Um, I'm trying to. And, 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 and I'm I not very good at it, though. What I'm realizing. Sensitive to your technical needs, and so, um, but I I think you got the gist of my answer in terms of the the uh, the racial and health disparities that have plagued communities of color for so long, right? You know. Yes. And I guess. Uh, kind of following up on that what like what are the solutions i think some of us kind of say it's obvious but i think it needs to be said what what are the solutions to those problems well i mean it's what we've been talking about uh since the dawn of time right is i think um we need to first come to realize that when it comes to issues of poverty um we usually turn a blind eye to the realities that people are struggling. Um, and we always put band-aids on what I call bullet wounds. Um, everything is not just about a social program. Um, it's really about how do you build the infrastructure uh, to, to ensure that people are able to get out of poverty. So that is making sure that our schools are fully funded um, and that our teachers have the resources that they need um, to educate our children, which will then help improve the workforce. Um, so it's all part of that system. Um, I think we need to, I wouldn't say dismantle it, but we definitely do need to redesign it um, at its core. And um, I think we've gotten to a place right now, especially what you're seeing here in America in general, is that um, there's this conversation around the haves and the have-nots, right? And the have-nots have had not for a long time. And I think that we have an opportunity to right the wrong. And what that looks like is investing in communities of color in ways that we haven't seen before, like uh, looking at small businesses and pouring in more resources, not just um, how to open up your own business. No, but give me the, um, the no interest loans, um, providing us with technical assistance um, so that we can keep our businesses open. Um, looking at how uh, I look at issues of language access. There are a lot of immigrants, um, people who are new to this country who don't speak the language as fluent. Um, how can we help support those um, small businesses thrive as well? So I think a lot of it is really about rebuilding the infrastructure um, and, and, and to ensure that low-income communities have a, a ticket out of poverty and that we can stay out. And then I also think, you know, um, the, the, the cost of living we need to reevaluate the cost of living. The fact that you know you can't afford to live in the city of Boston, and you have to have seven people living in one unit just to be able to stay here is ridiculous. So I think that we need to look at how do we revise um, the cost of living here in the city of Boston. And that might not be something popular for a lot of a lot of landlords, but you know we need to start learning how to share the wealth a little bit more. I think that's a really good point to make about the seven or eight people having to live in an apartment, which that happens so much now, mm -hmm. especially in the city of Boston and in what we're looking at in Chelsea as well. Uh, they also have the air pollution from the, from the Tobin and the airport. Um, Boston has some of that as well, obviously, which doesn't help. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing too is, um, is that I look at is, is, you know, no one really wants to talk about, it's like the elephant in the room, right? This is something that is so, when you look at racism and you look at um, issues of socioeconomic status and class here in, in the country, um, it's, it's the elephant in the room. Nobody ever wants to talk about it, right? And I think that when you start talking about race, everybody gets you know offended or, or they feel some kind of way. 
but we can't we can't have a real conversation unless we're really willing to look in the mirror and, and say hey for far too long we haven't held ourselves accountable to the fact that low income communities black and brown folks in particular have built, have bear the brunt of all of these disparities. And I think that now is an opportunity for us to right the wrong, but we have to do it in a way where people don't feel like they're being called out, right? I think a lot of that is that people feel, um, I, I think some folks feel uh, they take it personal. Yeah, um, and I and we can't do that. We, we, we need to say, you know, if I'm not a racist, you know, if I deeply care about the human race, then I'm ready to acknowledge the fact that we do have a problem because that's part of the first, you know, the first we have to realize that there is a problem, own it, and then say, now that we know it, what are we gonna do about it? And we can't just sit in our little ivy tower and, and come up with solutions. We have to bring people into these discussions that are living the reality because I look at this issue around race and there are a lot of people who, um, who are well off who are also black and brown, who are also disconnected from the realities that a lot of poor black and brown folks are dealing with, right? So I think that this is really about privilege. And if we're really serious about dismantling these systems, then we need to also recognize that people of color also have a little bit of, you know, we also have privilege. There are a lot of black and brown folks who are able to work from home right now because that's the type of work that they have. Um, and But there are also a lot of black and brown folks who can't because they're in their service industry. So I think that this conversation has to be at the intersection of socioeconomic status and class if we're really serious about how we're going to unpack this. And I think that everybody has to be ready to recognize that we all bring our own layer of privilege into this conversation. Definitely. I'm uh, somebody who's in the service industry. I do dog care, you know, so I know all about, you know, having to still work and it's the only way to pay your bills. Um, but, um, you know, basically we wanted to get into more about what Boston's doing as well. Uh, we have uh, Boston city Councilor. We're very proud to have her back on the show. We had her on a bunch of times when she was running for the campaign and then she won. She, she said she was going to win. No, I don't think a lot of people believed that she would win and she did win. It was, I don't know how many votes you ended up winning by, but, but it was a handful. 22, yeah, 22,492 votes were the, the total. And I won by one vote, one um, vote. When, the recount, when the recount was said and done. Um, but yeah. And, you know, I didn't send out one citywide mailer. I couldn't even afford to send out a mailer. So the fact that we were able to build uh, a grassroots campaign that was heart-led, um, and mission driven really speaks to what happens when when folks uh, are, are are committed to the people. And it's at large. So this is, you know, not just a ward or district in Boston. You know, we, Boston has both. They have, uh, you know, district candidates, and then they have at large, which is the entire city of Boston. You won this seat, which is that makes it even bigger. I mean, this was a hard seat to win. This was not an easy campaign that you picked. Yeah. No one expected you to win. You had less money and you won. It, it won by one vote. Uh, it's Julia Mejia back on the show again. And we're really happy to have her. Uh, we wanted to ask about the homeless. Uh, oh, is this, is this your daughter yeah, sending you some food? Yeah, bringing me my mom. So, you know, we have a two family house and my mom lives downstairs. And so um, I'm really lucky and fortunate to be able to 
have my mom here. My brother and I share one unit. My mom has the other unit. So we're all um, being quarantined together. Um, so yeah, my mom sent me some mango, which plantain and yucca. And, and so this is going to be my lunch in a little bit. Awesome. Very good. We won't keep you too long. It looks very good. Um, I see yeah. the TikTok videos you do with your daughter are, are yeah. amazing. I love them. My daughter um, is beating me at all the dance moves. I, I feel like, you know, I'm trying to look cool, but she's making it really hard for me because she knows how to dance better than I do. Yes. Um, do you want to say hi, Louise? That's okay. You're here. I mean, that's okay. Come say hi. Come. You can hold this back. Come here. Just say hi real quick. No, she. She she's doesn't. Shy. She no. She's not shy. She, she, she only does it for the TikTok. She saves it for the TikTok, right? No, she's Dancing? just. No, she's not camera ready. Oh, okay. I get it. Believe me, it takes me like an hour to get ready for this. <laughs> she's not feeling like she's looking her best. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I think the win is 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 incredible. I, we haven't even hit our hundred days um, in office yet. And, you know, in many ways, you know, I, I ran my campaign, having never worked in the city government, not really understanding the politics, but knowing that the politics as usual is not something that I was willing to do. And so to be in this you know, to be in this position and have this opportunity, not even hitting our 100 days, learning the job while I'm doing it um, and learning politics um, as I go has been an incredible um, experience, to say the least. And then this hits. So this is like yeah, battle under fire. You, you already had like so many things that you were, you know, moving on and pushing along. Um, some things I might want to talk about, but you know, a lot of this is going to be about COVID-19, obviously. Um, the homeless issue, because this is coming up everywhere. And where I'm up on the North Shore, Salem has a homeless problem. Lynn has a homeless problem. There are, there are other cities besides Boston that have uh, homeless issues. And I like what Boston's doing. And I just wonder if, hello, how you doing? Nice. Good. You want to do, yeah, I, I've been watching you on TikTok. Yeah. Are you, are you, oh, she wants to run away now. I can tell. Are you, are you uh, happy about the TikTok response of people like loving you on there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you guys doing another one tonight? Yeah. We yeah. do it every night. Every night. Every night. That's our little time to bond and to disconnect from our Zoom because she goes to school, quote unquote, um, online and I'm always online and so we, we're trying to build some structure into this new normal um but she's the tiktok queen um yeah i so. love the videos i watched them all the, I, I, they're always on twitter so we see them and they get shared a lot yeah yeah so say bye nice meeting okay. you what's her name a annalise annalise Not, nice meeting you annalise yeah thank you yeah. for coming on i know she wasn't camera ready yeah, she went and fixed a little bit of, you know, she tried to tidy up the back. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, go, I mean, I think um, the homeless issue here in the city of Boston, uh, I, I'm really happy to see the response um, in terms of just the beds that we've been able to add, um, how we've been trying to ensure that the homeless population in terms of spread and social distancing is something that get, gets addressed, um, that we now are looking at how we support families um, who are in Boston public schools that are um, homeless and making sure that they have um, housing. I think all of those efforts have, have been great, um, but it goes to show what is possible. 
And my hope is, is that this goes beyond COVID-19, right? This is great right now, but I, I, you have just demonstrated to me what is possible when we're really serious about making sure that people are housed. And my hope is, is that that will continue beyond COVID-19. Now, it seems like in Boston, there's a story on Dig Boston about Cambridge, what Cambridge was going to do is put everyone in a, a field house. And now hopefully they're talking to Harvard and Leslie and some of the hotels locally, and, and that may change. But Dick Boston has a story on that right now. Yeah. Um, it seems like Boston went right to the universities and the hotels and got rooms, individual rooms, which is much safer for everybody, the homeless and the yeah. public. Um, yeah. Empty you know, yeah. colleges and empty hotel rooms for the most part that are available. Yeah. How did that happen? Was that the mayor like making the call or did they I volunteer? Think, you know, yeah, I, I, I will not take any credit for any of that. That okay. was all the mayor um, and his connections. And I think that also was a part of, um, you know, we have daily calls with the mayor, the council. Uh, and I think it was a, it's a combination of our advocacy um, and helping to, to, to push. But I think, you know, all of those things happened um, in result of goodwill of, of the schools. You know, these schools um, have a responsibility. They're, they're occupying space in the city of Boston and they get a lot of perks to do so. And so it was, it was, it was a good uh, goodwill for them to, to respond that way. But, you know, I also want to uplift the fact that there are a lot of homeless young people who are still out on these streets. There's over 300 young people who we need to also be mindful of and um they're, they're still we haven't addressed the problem completely yet yeah when you mentioned there the boston public schools mm -hmm. and after covid19 it, it, it needs something needs to be done on that it shouldn't yeah. be children who are homeless no there's five thousand um students of, in the city of boston that are homeless right now and i think um you know, I think a thousand or so families were able to find placement, but again, you know, that's just the beginning. There's still a lot more that we, we can do on that front. And you know what, Mike, for me, a lot of this is what I'm thinking about is beyond COVID-19. I know right now the crisis is this where we find ourselves in, but we have to start thinking about a long-term strategy and how do we uh, move forward from this in a way that's not going to um, bring people back to where they were, right? Like, how do we do this in a way that is going to help support um, our most vulnerable communities. Um, Definitely. Definitely. I think uh, it's been, it's been an issue people have been looking at more and more lately, but uh, I think this just brings it to the forefront. I mean, w again, what if there's another crisis? There's so many crises that could be hitting us. Uh, we just, you know, this is the latest one. Um, speaking about that, because cannabis is an issue, you know, I, I love, I love my cannabis. I'm a medical user. Um, Boston set up a commission for licensing of cannabis shops. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one that was open, which we were really happy about, Pure Oasis, but they got shut down because of uh, Governor Baker's ban on cannabis shops at this point. Where does that commission stand? Because there's been some uh, talk that applicants fear, you know, social equity, economic empowerment applicants in Boston fear that there's going to be a slowdown, a shutdown, and that no applications will be heard or even discussed or looked at until after this is all over. Do you know anything about where that stands at this point? No, but that's something that I could definitely bring up because I am on the, I'm the chair of a small business. And this is an issue that I think in terms of equity, um, we, we have an opportunity to push uh, to ensure, because right, to be honest with you, you know, cannabis is, 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 is something that helps 
people deal with stress, right? right. Um, and so the fact that we have uh, uh, liquor stores open and, and, and we see that as, 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 as being okay, what does that say to the cannabis industry? that it's not so much so, right? And I think some of it was because of the long lines, quote unquote, but there's ways to help support these businesses so that they can do um, deliveries or they can figure out a pickup. Um, so I think that there's an opportunity to bring that dialogue um, up on our council. And I know awesome. Kim Jamie has been um, pushing as well as uh, Senator Chang Dia. So that is a discussion that a lot of our uh, electeds of color are, have been talking about. Do you think that they're gonna start licensing like cause the hearings, I, I'm not sure how they can even do like the the host community hearings and all of that other stuff right now. I mean, is that something that? Well, I think with Zoom, you know, what we've been seeing is we've been able to host um, hearings, public hearings through Zoom. So I don't think that the I don't think that there's a reason why we should delay the process. Okay. If we have the technology and the tools to be able to do so, then we should push for that. Awesome. Uh, we're the Young Jerks, and we have, we're very happy and honored to have uh, Boston City Council at Large, Julia Mejia, on the show uh, next, or this Monday, I guess. I believe it's Monday. I want to make sure of that, but uh, you can check us out on, just make sure you're following us on Facebook. Uh, we have a special show coming up with uh, Shalene Title, Cannabis Control Commissioner, and Mass State Rep, China Tyler. They're going to be talking all about cannabis with Grant Smith, who's going to be hosting that episode of the Young Jerks. Uh, we have a lot coming up on cannabis. So if you like that, if you like the uh, cannabis stuff, definitely make sure you check out that show this Monday. Uh, we're with Boston City Councilor Julia Mejia right now. And we're asking about what's going on in Boston right now with COVID-19. Um, it seems like Massachusetts is like top five for cases right now. And we have a president who's been talking about like reopening everything and pushing for business to reopen. Where do, you, where do you stand on that? What do you think? I think he's crazy. I really do. I think that, you know, we've been encouraging people to stay home, right? Um, we know that we uh, were slow in the um, shutdown process, right? So we probably could have saved more lives um, and, and stopped the spread a lot sooner. And, you know, I understand the whole um, economics behind the coming back into, in, into play. I understand the, the reason why he's, you know, pushing for it. But I think that, you know, at this point in, in, in time, we need to look at um, uh, places like China and, and, and Korea and, and folks who were really successful with um, slowing the spread and the initiative that they took to, to do so. I think that um, we have a responsibility to adhere to the, the stay at home orders. What I worry about those things too at the same time is like, um, how can we do it in a way that's also building the infrastructure for businesses to be able to thrive under these circumstances, right? I think that um, being able to have um, support for delivery, for pickup um, is important. And, and I think that that will help ease some of the financial um, loss, uh, but and, but I think um, we need to we need to slow our roll and we need to stay home. Now you you you've taught uh, I've been bringing up the issue of food as food like food. Tell us about that because I, I don't want to 
mislabeled. Yeah, so, you know, I, everyone who knows, for anyone who knows my story, they know that I grew up in poverty, right? So, you know, I was one of those folks that frequent the food pantries that went and got my welfare block cheese and, you know, and that butter. And so I, I know what, what it's like to go to the store with, you know, your food stamps as well. And so um, when I think about COVID-19, I've gotten lots of calls from people who have been confused about the stay-at-home order and some people who live really far from their local food pantry, some of which is like a 20 minute walk. And if you have three to four kids, you know, what you're doing is putting your whole um, family at risk in, in pursuit of food. It's like the hunger games out here, right? For many people. Um, so that's one. And then the other piece of it is that there are folks who don't know how to cook with the items that are available at these food pantries. And while it's great that we have access to food, unless it's food that's culturally um, appropriate, you know, rice and beans and, you know, oil and things, you know, and, and seasonings and things that we know how to cook with, then we're defeating the purpose, right? So a lot of the work that I've been doing through our office is really pushing for food that is culturally responsive and also figuring out ways that we can um, help support our local um, corner stores, our local bodegas, our convenience stores to be able to provide them with the funding so that they can um, be able to have families go to their stores to purchase items and not just food, but diapers and cough syrup and Tylenol and things that they need um, to be able to um, survive this. Um, so what I'm trying to do is right now we have um, secured funding. Um, we've got one sponsor, Huff, um, excuse me, Tufts Health Plan um, has uh, um, come on board um, with some funding and we're gonna be uh, rolling out a pilot with five local grocery stores in Dorchester, um, Mattapan, Roxbury, and Jamaica Plain, where now families can um, submit a request to get, uh, uh, I guess, a store credit of 50 to $100, depending on what your um, financial situation is, where you can go to your local corner store um, and purchase items that you need directly right around your way, instead of having people uh, go outside of the neighborhoods that they live in to in search of for what they need. So those are the things that we're doing from our office to be able to help support people during this food crisis. Very good. Very awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I like thank food. You. I love food. Food is like so important. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it has to be culturally confident. Right. right. And, and, you know, I was really pushing and hoping that this was an initiative that the city would be able to drive, but unfortunately because of the way the contracting um, procurement situation is set up, you know, it, it was going to be a lot of red tape. And so I decided to take it upon myself. And um, now we're looking for ways to raise money so that we could do it um, in partnership with a non uh, with a nonprofit um, organization that um, is going to help us build the infrastructure to be able to help families connect families to food. Um, and that's, you know, I, I'm always finding ways though. I, I'm, I'm not, I never take no for an answer. Um, I'm always, I believe that everything and anything is possible. And if I can't do it through one means, I'm going to find other ways to do it. And so right now we've secured funding and we continue to raise money so that we can uh, roll out this pilot in five different communities. That's awesome. And this is, uh, again, if uh, people are just tuning in, it's Boston City Council, Julia Mejia. And you can contact her directly if you want to get involved in that food program, especially if you have big, you know, big budgets, nonprofit money, or maybe corporate money. You, you want to help a, a worthy cause. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and, and the thing is, is that uh, as part of our um, infrastructure, the group that we're working with, um, it's called Determined Divas. This is an initiative that I launched in 2015. I'm no longer the one who's running it, um, but it's an initiative. Uh, we all have two funds that we've set up. One is to also help uh, low income and young people pay for bills. Like right now, a lot of young people can't afford, can't work. Um, and so we, now they can contact our um, this fund, and we could pay up to up to hundred dollars in in bills, whether it be a parking ticket, a phone bill, uh, a light bill. Um, you can also submit. It's a small fund. We only have like about six thousand dollars, but it's still, you know, it's based on need, and it's something else that um, can help low income communities that are struggling. So whether it's um, donating to that fund or our bodega project. Um, there's different ways that people can help support it. And you can do so by um, um, contacting um, Determined Divas 617 um, at gmail.com. So that's Determined Divas um, 617 at gmail.com. So okay. that's another way to help support. There's also a GoFundMe that has been um, created. So there's many ways to find us um, and to support. We believe that the answers, people who are living the realities usually have the best resources and when we roll up our sleeves and we do it, we can make things happen on our own. And that's what this initiative has done um, is, is to do just that. I love it. Thank you. Very awesome. Uh, Boston City Councilor Julia Mejia with us, uh, City Councilor at large in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. Very happy to have you. Um, you mentioned parking tickets. I know that's oh a, a big, big thing for you. I've posted about it on my Facebook groups. I don't know if you've seen some of the spirited discussion on both sides of this. Have you on our? No, I, I have no? not. I think, you know, I am. Um, I, I tend to be a little bit controversial, right? And I think that, you know, I'm really serious about dismantling systems that um, keep people in poverty. Um, and so I, I, I believe, and I'm really happy to say that most of the, um, the best ideas have come from people who, are, who, who oppose the, the concepts. Um, and so I, I, I do appreciate the spirited conversations that have come out of this because it's really helped us crystallize exactly um, what this will look like in, in terms of implementation, right? So as a result of uh, proposing this, we've identified certain um, target groups. Um, they're elders, uh, seniors who are at home and can't move their cars, oftentimes during alternate street parking. There are people who are low wage workers, they're in the service industry that have to provide um, personal care attendants that are, are helping our most vulnerable. And sometimes their um, parking runs uh, over whether providing service and so being able to appeal that ticket. Um, you know, I've been getting a lot of good ideas from people in terms of who are the people that we should target. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're making $90,000 a year and you get a $90 ticket, that's like, a, you know, a tip um, when you go out to eat. But someone who's making $35,000 a year and you have to pay a $90 ticket, um, maybe we can put you on a payment plan. Maybe we can waive it and it's a one-time, you know, waive. Um, there's, we have to figure out a way that we support our most vulnerable um, folks who are struggling out here to make their ends meet. And I think parking tickets, I understand you do the, you, to do the crime, you pay the fine. I get it. But I think that we can find creative ways to make that fine be more um, uh, reflective of what your income is. Definitely. I think that needs to happen. I, I would love to see that.
come across every, across the board in everything. Yeah, absolutely. you know, criminal justice especially. Mm-hmm. You know, when when they find you know the billionaire the same amount as someone who has no money in the bank, to me right. it just it doesn't make any sense. And then we're talking about speeding tickets. Now we're just talking about parking tickets in the yeah. city of Boston, which you know is under your jurisdiction. Uh, about changing, you know, for people that may not be aware is, you know, looking at having it more equitable for for, for people who can't afford that $100 ticket mm-hmm. um, versus someone who's a millionaire, like Jerry Seinfeld. I don't, you know who Jerry Seinfeld is, right? Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. He's notorious for parking around New York, New, New, New York uh, I can't even say it right mm-hmm. now, NYC, yeah. and just parking wherever he wants and paying the ticket because he's got tons of money. He doesn't care. Right, right, right. And then the other thing too is, is that, you know, it's not about the, the, the way I see it. It's like, if you, you shouldn't park at a fire hydrant or a handicap zone, right? There right. are certain places where if you park there, absolutely, you're going to get ticketed and you should pay for that ticket because that is being reckless and irresponsible because those are, um, you're taking away a, a space that belongs to someone who's handicapped or you're putting people's lives at risk by parking in a, in a fire hydrant. So I'm talking about parking tickets where it's, um, over meters and um, and certain neighborhoods, like what you're doing is pricing people out of being able to park um, in places like the Back Bay on Newberry Street, right? Um, when you look at uh, resident-only parking, there's- it's Right, it's there's, ridiculous. It's right, so those are the places where I'm thinking of in terms of having a little leniency, that's kind of where I'm looking to, to target. Again, we're talking to Boston City Councilor Julia Mejia, um, about parking in the city of Boston. We've talked about cannabis. We've talked about housing already. Um, what's this about housing relief though and housing vouchers? What's going on there? Yeah, so um, the, the the mayor's, oh, excuse me one second, Annalise, um, we can hear you okay, honey? Annalise, sorry, she's playing right. Fortnite. Anna, oh, she is. we can hear you, honey. Sorry. Yeah, she's playing Fortnite. That's my babysitter, Fortnite. Oh, very nice. Um, is that one of the things that uh, the city came out with is a rental relief fund for people to be able to apply uh, for uh, some rental assistance. Unfortunately, um, when it first came out, it was first uh, uh, positioned as first come, first serve. Uh, uh, When it first came out, it was only in English. Then later it came out in different languages. And so... Um, there was an overwhelming response and then it turned into a lottery system. So there's just some kinks that needs to be worked out in the city in terms of um, what what that looks like. Um, it's a great opportunity to help people who are struggling to make their ends meet. But um, I feel like the city needs to do a better job in terms of, uh, of communication and language access. Um, we, we are actually, um, we filed a hearing order around la- language access. Um, to to look at the the role that uh, the barriers that that are impacting people from being able to access these resources. It's great that we have these resources, but if we don't know about them because we don't understand the language, or because um, you know it's not translated in, in a timely fashion, then a lot of people are being left out of these uh, of these resources. So. Um, I, I think while it's great to have these re- these opportunities, if people don't have access to them because they don't understand the language, then it it's not fair. You know, it's, it's not, not representing fair. everyone either. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you especially that when a certain there's large percentages, you know what the languages are that you're leaving behind. Like it, the, 
this also happens now. You you brought it up on your Twitter, and not to cut you off, but on unemployment, it's only in English, right? It's only in English. Um, the state and, is, yeah. And and it's only in English, and so I think that we are seeing across the country the level of disparities that exist for in, immigrant um, communities, and I think that you know having this conversation. Today, again, it's not just about COVID-19, it's like we need to build the infrastructure. You know, um, the fact that the mayor has press conferences and it's only in English, you know, I volunteered to, uh, to host one in Spanish only, right? Um, people, the way, it's not just about translation, things get lost in translation, right? Yeah. And I've seen this even, even, even in English, the yeah. translation Telephone game. Yeah, like, the telephone oh, game. Yeah, no, and, and, and then looking, it's also about cultural competency. We've been talking about social distancing and we've been talking about flattening the curve. You know, I had to Google that, you know, and I'm someone who's an elected official and I, you know, and I'm supposed to be educated, but I didn't know what the hell they were talking about either, right? And I think that it's, a, it's, it's not just about translation, it's about the competency of, of what we're, uh, sharing with people, um, we should have been calling it physical distancing. That's something. That's something that we can understand. You know, yeah. uh, flattening the curve. Nah, man, we're stopping the spread. I, I think that we, in terms of language, it, it goes just beyond translation. It's about being able to speak to people in ways that we understand it, and that's where I feel we have missed the mark. It's funny because I'm glad you brought that out. It's, I never even thought about that flatten the curve. I think that comes from scientists. And I don't think scientists sometimes are the best people to speak to the average person, you know? Yeah. And, and that to me is like, for me, one of the things that I'm really, um, I, I, I am really focused on is like, I want to disrupt the entire way we do business. And yeah. it exists with us recognizing that our communication, that our messaging needs to be uh, more inclusive of the people who are living these realities. And you know, I'm a hood, right? I come into spaces and, um, you know, I carry the imposter syndrome because sometimes I feel like I don't belong in these spaces just because we've never been in them, right? I mean, yes, um, we have a lot of people, we have more electeds of color in office. Um, and I'm really happy to, to see that. And, and, I, and I'm really hopeful that we're going to start seeing the type of changes um, that we need to make sure that our people, we're changing the conversation, right? And I think because we're in these spaces now, we're able to um, focus on the things that that probably wouldn't have been brought up in the past, you know? I'm yeah. talking about students who are chronically absent, right? I was one of those kids. I dropped out of school and I went back. I was almost 20 by the time I dropped, you know, I graduated from high school. There are a lot of kids right now who weren't even going to school when school was in session. And now when they can log in and ignore your teacher, because uh, you could just log in, like, what are we doing? to make sure that our kids are not losing out um, during this time. Because again, that's going to impact. Uh, if we're looking at the long-term, right? We're gonna have kids who are not gonna graduate high school. And if they don't graduate high school, college or career ready, they're not gonna get into any type of, um, even a trade. Uh, then, you know, we're uh, feeding the poverty pipeline. This is what it is right now. It's the poverty pipeline. Um, and that is something that I feel this is why COVID-19 has impacted low-income communities um, in the way that it has. It's that because this has been a historic um, disregard for low-income people. That's why we're here. 
I think you are 100%. I agree with you, obviously. Uh, I always agree. I, I don't think we've found anything ever that we haven't agreed on. Julie, have you? No, we, 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 we have not. I, um, I feel like, and you know, I, I've come across a lot of people who don't agree with me. Um, and what I do is I call them in because I don't, I don't want to just work with people who, who agree with me. There are a lot of people who, who hated my, uh, sanctuary space, um, hearing order right, right. Um, there's a lot of folks who who think that you know that's reckless and that we're not thinking about safety yeah man bring it help me figure out how we're going to address this there are a lot of people who didn't who don't agree in the parking um ticket a uh, hearing that i proposed but i'm about calling people in not calling them out and we right. have an opportunity to work with people across our differences right i think that for far too long we have created this divide in the city of boston where people feel like they can just be in opposition of each other and i want to change that i feel like we have an opportunity to work with people who don't want to work with us and that's our responsibility speaking of which you had a a gentleman sent you a letter, I believe it was, or no, he a left a voicemail, voicemail. A voice left a voicemail, and you ended up on TV about it, and uh, you responded to him, he since responded to you, you guys seem to get along now, like, what, what, what is that, like, oh. like a month or two ago, like, where is that now? Oh, this was like, this was like two or three weeks after I got the job, that I started working in, in the council, um, I got a really disturbing voicemail, his name is Mike, um he was he thought i should be sent back to where i came from i'm like nah dude i gotta let you know i'm a u.s citizen i ain't going nowhere i'm here to stay um that because my mom was undocumented you know he was gonna call trump on us um but my mom has since become a u.s citizen and she's a super voter but anyways um i i that was my therapy could i just tell you that my staff did not want me to hear the voicemail we got it on a Friday. It was over the long weekend. They said, no, don't listen to it. I said, no, I need to hear it. I heard it that, I think it was that Tuesday. Um, and it hurt my heart to know that this was, you know, we're in the 21st century and that people still hated us that much. Um, and, you know, and because I worked in television, it was my therapy to take his evil words and and laid down images um, that contradicted everything that he said about us. Um, so I posted the video, not thinking that anyone was really going to pay attention to it. You know, that was really like, I just threw it out to the universe. I didn't even think it was newsworthy, right? Because it's like we hear about hate all the time. But dude, I even made national news. Um, that was crazy. Was. I, you know, but I think it goes to show um, that, and, and I'm an elected official, if he felt that he can talk like that to me, just imagine people who, who are not. Um, and then it wasn't just about me being bullied. There's so many other people who are being bullied right now because of, for so many other, you know, either whether it's disability, whether it's orientation, you know, whether it's poverty, whether it's, you know, um, weight. Um, and for me, I had to, seize that moment and say no i'm not gonna allow you to to bully me or anyone else um because we in in not confronting it it's just saying it's okay for you to do that and i think it was my way of saying nah the buck stops here you're not gonna bully bully me or anyone else for that matter um i think it was really an opportunity for us all people who have been bullied in their lives to take a stand against bullies you know
And now, now, like it seems like he came around to you a little bit, did oh, he not? Yeah. After the fact, so, too, like he's, he's like your buddy now, isn't he? In a weird yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. So what? No, he's not my buddy yet. <laughs> I haven't turned him around that much. But what happened yeah. was that because uh, the the audio, his voice made national news. People recognized him, and apparently, he's the guy that calls a lot of shows. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think he. I've heard him on. I swear to God, RKO. Right. Yeah. Mike, I, I yeah, he I calls. Don't, I don't listen to those stations, but yeah. I, or I, EI, one of those, yeah. When he called me, knew he I knew it. Me. I knew, I knew, as soon as I heard that voice, I'm like, I know this guy, and that's so funny. Go ahead. Yeah. So what happened was that he called my office. He spoke to my chief of staff because I wasn't in when he had called, and then I called him back. And then he said that because a lot of people recognized his voice, he started getting phone calls from all his friends saying, Mike, I didn't know you were a racist and, you know, all of these things to him. And so he wanted to call back and um, and just have a conversation. He wanted me to understand why he felt the way that he did. And we had a good conversation. I recorded that too, Mike, because I didn't know what he was going to say. Right. Yeah, um, I heard some of that. I, I thought he was going to come at me with some other right. crazy stuff. So I was like, let me protect myself just yeah. in case. Um, and, and he came around and, you know, I called him the other day. I called him a few weeks, um, right before we had to shut down city council and I called to ask how he was doing. And he told me that he, he had been sick. He had the flu. And then I said, Oh, are you okay? He goes, Oh, don't worry. I don't have that coronavirus. I'm okay. And I said, you know, I asked who's taking care of him. And he said that he's been going to the vet hospital. Um, and you know, I felt bad for him. You know, I, I felt like I envisioned him as that um, as that movie Up, you know, that I don't know if you ever saw the movie Up, the elder, the old man, he didn't have anybody to take care of him. His wife had passed. Anyways, I, I, I just envisioned him ho home alone with nobody, not, you know, by himself with nobody to care for him. And so I called just to check in on him. Um, and, and so, you know, that's part of the process. You know, it's just, you just never know where people are coming from. And I feel sorry for him, to be honest with you. I feel sorry that people still carry so much hate in their heart, you know? Yes, I do. I definitely know that. Speaking yeah. of hate yeah. and just kind of uh, leaving people out, excluding people, there was a, uh, a resolution that the Boston City Council passed, you supported, well, LGBTQ giving, uh, donating blood. Yeah. How did this come about? Was this before the, the feds actually changed it or was it during, like, how did? Well, you know, it's so funny because our office had been working with the American Red Cross um, beforehand. Um, and we um, were talking about how important it is to donate blood. And especially during the summer months, um, there's a lot of high incidences, you know, rates of violence, gun violence in communities of color. So Annalise, Annalise, Anna, Anna, sorry, Annalise, Annalise, we can hear you. Sorry. Um, and um, so we had been in communication about me going out and donating blood and, and helping to raise awareness around this issue. And during that conversation, um, two of my staff members are, are gay men. And they, I said, I want our entire office to go to and donate. Um, and they mentioned to me that they couldn't. 
um, because of their status. And I was flabbergasted. I had never heard that. I didn't know that that was, you know, something that existed. Um, and I know that Councilor Edwards was the one who filed the resolution on that. And so I jumped on board to support it as well. I, 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 was, I was beside myself as something that I, I could not believe even existed. It seems like the FDA and the feds have now said the same thing. Yeah. They, they now agree. You guys are like changing laws, like well, changing policies yeah. nationally. I know, right? Um, just by it's crazy that that would still exist. Yeah. I, I, I didn't I realize that was a fact either. It's, that's why we need to include, like you said, when we, the need to include everybody. Because if you're, if you're not a gay man, you wouldn't, why would you have known that? Yeah, I know, right? And so the fact that my uh, my staff brought this to my attention, I was like, wow, that's crazy. But I'm glad that we, we found some resolution um, and we were able to, even with that, res I don't know if it was, I'm not gonna take any credit for it. I'm gonna be honest with you. You know, I signed on to the resolution. It was something that we had lived in our, lived it through, through our own experience in our office. Um, um, so I was really happy to support uh, Councilor Edwards in, in that. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for taking the time today. I know you got uh, your family there. As people can definitely notice and you're spending your Saturday with us. I really appreciate the time. No, um, always, always, Mike. You know, whenever you uh, invite us, I am grateful for the opportunity. Um, for us, I, I know you said there were some people who, who had calls and questions, but, you know, I'm, I'm accessible. That's one thing that I want people to know is um, that for, for me, our office has always been about all and all means all people can find us at 617-635-4217 uh, email me at julia.mejia m-e-j-i-a at boston.gov um, we are always looking for ideas and things that we can do in collaboration with other folks um, we don't believe that we have all the answers but what we do believe is creating space for those who do have it to inform our thinking so i appreciate whatever opportunities you can give me to to connect with your with your audience and and, and i appreciate this i love that you throw out the phone number because you know we used to have a you know when we had the studio we had the studio phone number there's a way to call through zoom but i'm still trying to figure out all this stuff so uh, back in the day, we'd have a million calls for someone like yourself, Julia, you remember those? And I'm sure there are people that we're missing right now on the social media are asking questions. So yeah. you can just call Julia's office. She'll, okay. I mean, I, I know for a fact, you guys answer very quickly no, on anything. Not even that, but you Social know, media too. Mike, can I just tell you how many times people have called our office and have been surprised that I've actually have picked up the phone myself and I'll go consulting here. They're like, Hi, yes. Um, and, I, and I'm, I'm like, no, this is me. They're like, it's you? I'm like, yeah, it's me. And they're so surprised that I'm picking up my own phone. And I'm like, why would you be so surprised that I would do something like that? Because that's not the norm. But hello, if I'm here to serve, I'm here to pick up my own damn phone. I could do that. Um, and so, yeah, we it's part of the the personal touch that we have, you know, I pick up my own phone calls. Awesome. I bet yeah. I, I, I don't get that experience when I call other offices. I'll tell you that. Well, maybe they'll, they'll take heed and start listening um, to this and, and change the way they do business too. Yeah, I think they should. Um, as we wrap it up here, is there anything that you want kind of want to leave listeners with, you know, well, 
viewers, I guess, listeners on our podcast or viewers right now that are watching this on Facebook Live. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in this for the long haul, right? And um, my hope is, is that people can keep uh, their spirits up. I know where I always say we're not as helpless or as hopeless as we've been led to believe. I mean, I do believe that we can we can get through this and it's gonna require everyone working together to do just that. You know, it takes different type, it takes different people working in different ways to, to make a difference. And so it has to be all hands on deck. We can't expect government to do it all. Um, and this is gonna take a, a real collaborative approach to, to dealing with this beyond COVID-19. So I'm hoping that we create opportunities to do just that. And I'm here, find me, hold me accountable, work with us, you know, We're, this is about all of us. So, so thank you. Thank you for giving so many a voice and you know, working on these issues and being our voice. Like, you know, I don't live in Boston, but if I did, I'd be wicked psyched and I'm already wicked psyched that you're there. But even where I'm up on the North shore, you're, you're, you are like the voice for the region. Like in a lot of respects, you're like one of the biggest leaders now in the state for people who are, who don't get a voice. So I, I just want to thank you. Well, could I just tell you in this last bit is that our office has been, um, we've received calls from all across the state from Lowell from Worcester like people are calling our office from across the entire state looking for resources and to share with us the issues that they're encountering and we um, are always reconnecting people back to their city government or um, we have a list of resources that we can share with folks but you are absolutely right when it comes to access and language access um, particularly in, in low-income communities, uh, we have definitely have become a, a, a hub for, for folks who feel disconnected from the process. Absolutely. And that is, and that is facts. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for spending time with me again on a Saturday. Uh, City Councilor at large, Julia Mejia. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You Thank too. You. We'll talk soon. Okay, Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Mike Crawford of The Young Jerks. I want to thank you for listening, subscribing to The Young Jerks podcast, and also recommend that if you would like to support us with a financial contribution, that you do so through the Anchor app or through midnightmass.substack.com, become a paying subscriber. Or if you'd like to just send us a donation, you could do so through Venmo. It's Mike Crawford, TYJ on Venmo. Thank you very much. And uh, also, if you could rate and review us on iTunes, it is much appreciated. Thank you.